Hi, Straight Talk listeners. This is Kelly Corvin, editor of our podcast, and I just want to welcome you to part two of Dean's two-part series on his four pillars of leadership. So sit back and enjoy. Hi, everybody. Dean Chris, back in the studio, excited to be with you this week. I'm going to be talking about four foundational components of leadership, or, you know, I call them four kind of key principles or pillars of leadership that I have used in my career as a leader, but also in my life that have really, it's kind of really helped me become the best version of myself. I'm going to share you, uh, share those with you this week, and I hope you enjoy them. As we always say, set back, turn up that volume, and get ready to change your life. Hi, I'm Dean Crisp. Welcome to Straight Talk on Leadership. This is what we'd like to say is the no BS zone, where we give you leadership tips, ideas, and practical suggestions to help you become a top leadership performer. Our goal is simple, help you become the best version of yourself and reach your highest potential as a leader. So sit back, turn up the volume, get ready to change your life. Hey folks, Dean Chris back in the studio, straight talk on leadership. Hope you're enjoying your great, great summer. Uh, you know, it's vacation time for a lot of folks, and I know that some of you folks out there have been on vacation. Hope you've had a safe vacation. Hope you've had a great time uh, this summer with uh, your family. And so I really in, uh, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. And uh, this podcast this week is going to be talking about the four foundational components or principles of leadership that I have used in my career to really help me become the best version of myself and to help me lead others. And these four foundational components or pillars, as we're going to call them, will really help you connect with people, but they will also get the best out of you. And so before we get into the podcast, I want to thank all of you, as I always do on the podcast, I want to thank every single one of you who have taken the time out of your busy, busy day and in the mornings and the afternoons and the midnight shift, whenever it will be, to listen to us on Straight Talk on Leadership. We love giving information on these podcasts. We love helping you become the best version of yourself. And we love to just share what we're learning out there, what we're reading, what we're learning, what we're teaching, so that we can help you make the lives of those that you're leading better as well as your own. And so I want to thank you for taking the time and spending it with us on these podcasts. If you really like these podcasts, please download them. But I also want you to share them, send them to somebody, talk about them, Make notes about it. Put them on your social media post. We love it when people do that. And every single week we get those back. We get comments about the podcast. And I want to thank all of you because it really motivates us to keep with the material, keep with the content, keep pushing the information as we go forward. I want to thank all our staff at LHLM. We have been so busy. Alana, I just love sharing the message of leadership Leadership rocks, and the message that keeping leadership simple, it ain't easy. It's simple, but it ain't easy passing that message on to you in the classroom. If you haven't had a chance to go to our website, 
lhln.org. Please do so. We have some wonderful things on there. We do a blog every week. Uh, My second book is getting ready to come out, Leadership Recipe. It will be out in a couple of months, and I hope that you'll get a copy of that. We're in the final edits of that, sending it to the publisher. And uh, we've got uh, exciting things in that book I'm going to be sharing with you and be more about that later. So let's get into the podcast. And again, thank all of you for joining us in this podcast. All right, let's talk about these four pillars. Now, the first thing I want to talk about is what are their foundational components. Now, what do I mean by foundational? When I mean foundational, I almost mean they're primal. And primal means that you got to have them. And so what I have learned in my role as a leader is that if you base your leadership on foundational principles, values, uh, you know, those types of things, that you'll be a much better leader. And doing that, I've learned that there are some things that you just have to do in order to be the best leader possible. Now, as I said in the uh, earlier podcast uh, or the earlier part of this podcast, leadership is pretty simple, but it's certainly not easy. And these will help you simplify your leadership, but will help you kind of execute your leadership. And the first thing you got to start with leadership is yourself. Now, a lot of people don't understand that self-leadership is sometimes the most difficult because we have a tendency to focus on other people. We don't focus on our own performance. We don't focus on how we're doing. And these four foundational components are going to help you focus on you and get you doing the things that you need to do as a leader. Now, I have... I've not learned these things by a book. I've not learned these things by reading an article. I've learned these things through the School of Hard Knocks. And when you learn something through the School of Hard Knocks or through the School of Experience, man, it will stick with you. And then you prove that it works. So these four things that I'm going to share with you, certainly I've proven that they work. So let me go ahead and give you what these four things are. And then we're going to talk a little bit about each one of them and give you an idea of how to execute them, what they're really about, and then uh, you know see how that helps you out. So here we go. Number one in the pillars, the four principal primal foundational components of leadership, number one is mindset. And when you talk about mindset, we're going to spend a good deal of time in a few minutes talking about mindset, but that's getting your mind right. That means looking at things from the perspective you need to look at. That means getting control of your thought process, That means understanding the direction you're going. You know, mindset is so key. That's number one. Now, these can be in order, but each one of them have equal importance. So number one, when I say mindset, that doesn't mean that's the most important. But in reality, you got to get that one straight. And if I were going to do one of them, I'd put mindset first. But the others can, you you can mix match them, whatever. You just got to realize that they all have like equal importance of them. So mindset's number one. The second thing is the ability to self-reflect. Now, when I talk about self-reflection, that means you looking in the mirror. That means when something happens, you don't blame others. You look at yourself and say, was it my fault as a leader? Did I provide them with every single thing that I should? Or did I just uh, simply miss it? And you got to self-reflect. Number three is self-healing. 
which that means you've got to be able when things go wrong and in leadership, they are going to go wrong. And when things don't go the way you want it to go, or when things happen and you get so down about them, or you just don't see a path forward, or you're just overwhelmed, you have to find a way to heal yourself. So self-healing is number three. That's a foundational component. And number four is emotional intelligence. And I'm going to add a little flavor to emotional intelligence and say, not only is it important for you to understand yourself to be emotionally intelligent, but you have to be socially intelligent as well. And we're going to talk about the combination of those in just a few minutes. But I want to make sure that you understand you got to have a little bit of both or a whole lot of both, if you will. So let's talk about them and let's go. The next thing you got to understand is that when you do self-reflect, sometimes you're going to realize you got to stop the bleeding. So sometimes they're going to tell you something that's going to cut you so deep or you're going to reflect on yourself. You're not going to like what you hear or see or or what's going on, and you're going to have to be able to triage yourself. You're going to have to literally stop the bleeding, and you got to be able to stop and say, all right, I get it, I understand, and, uh, you know, I'm going to be able to stop the bleeding. you got to stop doing those things. you got to stop creating the problems. you got to stop cutting. you got to stop those things. you got to triage. And so, you know, that's really important. And I'm going to talk more about that when I get to the third process of uh, self-healing. But... Self-reflection, now, the last point I want to make is in self-reflection, you have to have a willingness and a drive to improve. Now, I often, I often ask someone when, I'm, when they're asking me for positive feedback is I say, how good do you want to be? And, the, you know, they'll they most often will say, I really want to be the best I can be. And I'll say, well, do you really mean that? Because if your willingness to improve is not trying to push yourself to be the best, then you'll drop off way before it has a major impact. That's, that's just the way it is. And I'll say, first of all, how good do you want to be? And second of all, how honest do you want me to be? Because if you're asking for my opinion without you know, hurting your feelings or with my raw opinion of things, I've, I'm going to be intellectually honest, but I'm hopefully going to deliver it in a manner mature enough that it helps you with your willingness to improve. So one of the things I want you to understand is that self-reflection, the whole foundational base of that is your willingness to improve cannot be limited. You've got to try to be your best, and then when you find that level, push it to the next level of being the best. There is never a absolute destination of best. It is a complete journey. And if you're doing it right, it never ends. And so you've got to have that willingness that no matter what, you're going to push every single day to be the absolute best you can be. All right, so let's talk about number three. Number three is what I call self-healing. And self-healing is... The one thing that you have got to do and part of the triage process is to begin the process of self-healing. Now, why self-healing is so important is because the more that you accomplish, the more and the higher you go in an organization and the more impact you want to have, the less number of people who are going to be there 
to catch you when you fall. So what the result of that is, is that you are going to be alone a lot more than you think. And so when you are alone, you have to find a way to self-heal. And I can tell you one thing right now, some of the deepest cuts I've ever had in my life have come from people that I've worked with. Some of the deepest disappointments I've ever had in my life have come from people that I've worked with or people that I've thought a great deal of. And I've just had to heal myself uh, after that disappointment. Now, setting unrealistic expectations is one way to begin the process of self-healing. Evaluate, was my my expectations too high? Was my expectations of what I was expecting to happen unrealistic? And sometimes we can expect people to be super people. You know, we can expect them, oh, they know exactly how we feel and they know exactly what they need to say to me to make me feel better. And then they don't do it. And then before you know it, you're going like, what the heck? So make sure that the beginning process of self-healing is set realistic expectations. The second thing is, is stop expecting everything is going to be great. Stop expecting everything to be great all the time. If everything was great all the time, they wouldn't need you as a leader. We need leaders when things aren't going well. We need leaders to provide direction. We need leaders to provide correction. And if you're expecting everything to be great because you got this title or you got all these great people working for you, you, you you're not gonna you're not gonna be very good at this. Now, one of the best stories I ever heard about that came from uh, Nick Saban, and I had the opportunity to listen to Nick Saban at an FBI leader conference several years ago, and uh, he said the number one thing, and you think about this, Alabama, if you know anything about college football, is like the premier program. Everybody wants to be Alabama; they're one of the most successful programs in the history, if you will, of college sports or college football. And uh, Nick Saban has some of the best staffs and some of the best athletes. He said, the first thing we tell our new coaches that we hire, when we bring them in to the process and we start introducing them to Alabama football, he said, the first thing we tell them is stop expecting everything to be great. We know we got the best athletes. We got the best facilities. We got the best fans, but in order for us to be the best and have the best, it's going to take you helping us keep things great. Everything is not going to be instantly great. So stop having an unrealistic expectation that everything is going to be great. As a leader, you are going to be dealing with stuff that you don't want to deal with all day long. This was hard for me and initially impacted my mindset greatly. Because I thought everybody wanted to be great. It's not going to happen. Next thing you need to understand about self-healing is you got to see the bigger picture. And one of the things that helps you see the bigger picture is to break things into small pieces. Like, uh, you know, when you have a major event or you have a catastrophe or you have something go on or you got somebody file a complaint or you got, you know, people... Uh, not pleased with what you did in the community or someone's not happy with how you handle something. You know, see the bigger picture. Uh, Realize that most small mistakes aren't fatal. 
And what you need to do is to break them down into small pieces and work at those problems one piece at a time. Because anything that you put into a big, big package and make a big deal out of it is going to be almost too big for you to handle. So break that sucker down into small pieces. Next thing you got to understand about self-healing is you got to realize you're never going to be perfect. Stop trying to work to a perfect standard. There is no perfect standard. Do the absolute best that you can. Look at it one more time and then move on. Because if you just try to expect everything to be perfect, you're going to, be, you're going to hurt yourself way too much. Because nothing's ever going to be perfect. You know what? Get it to the best you can look at or get it and then take one more look. You know, that'll move it in where you need to move it. Understand that the next part you need to understand about self-healing is understand failure is a natural part of success. So anything that you're going to be really, really good at, you're going to fail at. Anything that you expect to really, really make progress in, you're going to get kicked back three or four times. You're going to take four steps forward, six back. You're going to take six forward, four back. It's just a natural part of the process. Failure is a natural part of, of success. So just go ahead and accept, yep, we're going to miss it, but hey, we're not going to stop. We're not going to quit. Next thing you've got to realize is limit your negative thoughts. If you're going to self-heal, you've got to limit your negative thoughts. When you Limit your negative thoughts, you are 10 times better. And, you know, I, I read this study in uh, this book called Seven Mindsets once, and it said that we have 65,000 thoughts a day. So think about how impactful that is of our mindset if we got 65,000 thoughts. And what was interesting, they said that they discovered that 80% of those are negative. Now you think about that. If 80% of my thought processes are negative then I'm going to definitely have a negative swing. If you're a cop, I'd submit more than 80% is negative. And you know what I'm talking about because when you talk about, hey, the negative mindset, we can certainly have a very negative mindset. you got to limit those. you got to limit those negative thought processes. And then one of the things that I'm going to end with self-healing is focus on the future, not the past. And what's interesting is that in that same study where they talked about people having negative thoughts, they found that 90% of our thought processes were about the past, not the future. And what does that really mean? That means that we all have a tendency to look back instead of look forward. And one of the reasons why we look back is because we know what that looks like. And when you're in the middle of trouble or you're in the middle of an illness or you're in the middle, it's, it's really hard to focus on the future. I'm not saying this is easy, but I'm telling you, that if you don't self-heal and you don't find a way to fix yourself and you don't focus on the future, you never will self-heal. So now as we get to self-heal, we're going to move to the last one. And it's called Emotional Intelligence, which is a book written by Daniel Goleman in 1995. And he actually proved that emotional intelligence is not some good program. It's not some philosophy. It actually has physio-psychological impacts that are absolutely proven. In other words, the core of our brain, our limbic system, which controls our feelings, is a major influencer of how we deal with people. So if you really look at it from that perspective, we have three parts of our brain. We have the frontal lobe, which is our thoughts. 
We have the core feeling part, the limbic system, and the back part of our brain, which is the part that is the involuntary motions, actions, breathing, sweating, all those things we don't need to think about. And so when you look at it, the number one factor or the number one part of our brain that controls everything we do is our feelings, not our thoughts. And think about it. If I were to ask you, uh, if you're going to do something, uh, would I ask you, okay, can you think about it? Or would you act upon it how you felt? You would certainly say, how I feel about it is going to impact what I do. And so when you think about it, emotional intelligence is really scientifically proven. And that means that every single thing that you do, your boss does, people of importance do around you, has an impact on you. And we tend, our brain kind of tends to remember and record. Well, it doesn't remember, but it records every single thing that we do. If I were to ask you this question, can any of you remember a bad encounter with a boss? I would guarantee you right now that some of you are like, absolutely. And you're even thinking about that person right now. Well, that proves that your brain records everything, but it's not able to remember everything. But things that happen to us in a bad way, we have a tendency to record those and be able to recall those in a second. So in other words, we put them in a special place. So if you're a boss, you want to be emotionally intelligent that you do positive things with people, not negative things. Because people don't forget them. It's just like you right now. If I said, you remember a bad encounter with the boss? I guarantee you, 99% of you said, absolutely. And then you thought about that person. That's how our brain works. And so emotional intelligence is at the core. Now, emotional intelligence, the definition is being able to manage yourself and your relationship with others. Now, I'm going to add just a little flavor to that and say, you got to be socially aware too, because emotional intelligence it's kind of like one person's psychology. It's kind of your ability to psychologically manage yourself. But if you're going to be a really good leader, you got to understand people too that you're working with. You got to understand what makes them tick. You got to understand what they respond to. You got to understand how to talk to them. You got to be socially acceptable as well. As I said earlier, you just can't be intellectually honest with someone and not be emotionally intelligent at the same time. Because if you do that, you're going to create an enemy, not a friend. And so emotional intelligence keeps you balanced. It keeps your response and the way you treat people in a way that's very well received and gets the best out of people. So let's talk about the five components of emotional intelligence. Now, I'm not going to have time in this podcast. I've written articles about it. We've got a blog that you can go to our website at lhln.org. And you can see the blog on emotional intelligence. As a matter of fact, we wrote a series on it. And we talked about these components. But I'm going to mention to you so that you understand what they are. And the five components, according to Daniel Goldman, is number one is self-awareness. Now, every single leader has to be a self-aware of how they're coming across. Now, sometimes you can come across as being overly confident. Sometimes you can come across as being weak. Sometimes you can come across as being rude. you got to realize that... You literally, how you come across impacts people. Now, every single one of us has these modulators and receptors in our brain that before you know it, you're looking at people to get signals to see what their mood is, if they're a threat to you, how they're looking at me. You're, you're almost a mind reader instantly. So you can actually come into a room and see somebody across the room and know if they're mad, sad, or glad. That's how emotional intelligence works. you got to be self-aware that if you're coming across rude, if you're coming across as someone who doesn't uh, you know, talk to people really easily, someone that 
people can't approach, you're unapproachable, people see that and it impacts them and their ability to interact with you. So you got to be self-aware. One of the things you need to understand is one of the greatest skills of any leader is confidence. It's one of the greatest talents or skill sets, being very confident. But there is a razor-thin line between confidence and arrogance. Emotionally intelligent leaders are self-aware that they're never arrogant. They're confident, but their confidence transfers to other people, not to themselves. Second thing, self-regulation. you got to control your moods. Have you ever worked for a really moody boss? I can remember early in my days that I was moody. And uh, if something ticked me off, then I would be overly moody and people would respond to it. And you have really got to regulate yourself. You've got to watch. If I'm mad, does everybody in the building know it? And all of you know, you can kind of chuckle to yourself, but all of you know if you've got a leader that you work for, if they're moody, you know it. And when they're in a bad mood, everybody tells you, stay away from them. You've got to self-regulate. You've got to realize that my actions, what I'm doing, is going to have a major impact. How I'm feeling is going to have a major impact on everybody that I work with. The third component of emotional intelligence is motivation. There is nothing better than a well-motivated boss. There is nothing worse than a boss who is not motivated but is motivated by negative things or motivated by just their attitudes or terrible or having a terrible attitude or lazy or any of those things. If a boss seems unmotivated and not willing to do the hard things, then you can bet that that entire workforce is going to be majorly impacted by that. Every single boss, one of the components of emotional intelligence is to be is to stay motivated. You've got to have a self-motivation about you. You've got to find a way to keep your want to really fresh and really create a drive to do things. You've got to have motivation. Fourth thing, you've got to be able to, to manage relationships with the people that you work with. There's three ways to manage relationships with people. Now, these are, I learned these from a Harvard Business Review article. First thing, you got to spend time with people. So if you're going to manage your relationship with people, there is no substitute for spending time with them. You know this as well as I do. The people you don't spend time with, you don't really have that much of a connection. If you don't see them for years, you lose connection with them. Time equals connection. And remember, if you're going to be emotionally intelligent, be aware, regulate yourself, be motivated, and spend time with your people. The second thing you got to do is develop a working trust, which means they have to be able to trust you to do the right thing and to work on behalf to get them to be able to be the best that they can be and help them reach their goals. If you do that, if they can trust you to do the right thing by them at work and to help them reach their goals, and you create a working trust that's amazing. The third thing is you have to share what's expected of them. In any relationship you've ever had, as long as expectations were shared, then everybody was pretty happy. The second expectations changed, things absolutely changed. Think about it for a second if you know anybody who's been empty nesters. Well, what happened was they spent their whole life married, raising children. Then when the children leave, what happens after that? Expectations change. That can really impact a relationship. Like, for example, if you just get promoted to a sergeant or you get promoted to a higher rank or whatever it is, you're promoted, the expectations now change of you. In other words, you can't be their friends. You can't be, you can be friendly, you can have relationships with them, but not familiar relationships like you may have had when you were coworkers. Now the expectations change and they have to understand that 
as, or you do, you have to help them understand it as a leader. And so you have to understand those three things create relationship management. The last thing in emotional intelligence is, is to be empathy, is to have empathy. There is no bigger, greater connector than empathy. Empathy, according to Stephen Covey, who wrote the book Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, is the fastest form of human interaction and connection. No greater connectivity than empathy. Empathy is the fastest form of human interaction. And empathy is actually sensing what other people are feeling and feeling it yourself. It's not like sympathy. Sympathy is feeling sorry for people. Empathy is actually feeling it. And in today's environment, man, the people we work with, especially our younger generations, they want bosses to be extremely empathetic. In other words, when they call in sick, they want to want you to say, yes, sir, hope you're feeling better. How's it going? Hey, let me know if I can do anything. Don't give them a hard time. They expect that. Now, I'm not telling you that's easy. But what I am telling you is when they don't want to work overtime, they want you to understand they'd rather spend time at home. If they don't want to work overtime, make all this money, they don't really care about money. They, they need money. They understand the value of money. But they really, they want you to be empathetic. The fact you understand, man, it matters. With You know, if they want to go to their kids' 10 dance rehearsals and recitals in a month, uh, they expect you to understand that. That's empathy. And empathy is the fastest form of human interaction and connection. So let's go ahead and wrap up this podcast now. We talked about the four pillars, the four foundational components of leadership. You want to know more about these topics? You can look on our website, lhln.org. We got articles about them. We've written them. But I want to share all of these kind of in a, in a, like a package for you because we talk about these in the intentional leadership course and we go into depth, much more depth with these. But these will help you really understand yourself and understand leadership. These things have really made me better. And anytime I can learn something, if it's just one thing to help me be better, it's worth the time that I've spent doing it. So I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the, the lesson that we've given you today on the four pillars. And let's talk about them one more time so we all understand what they are. Mindset, talk about self-reflection, talk about self-healing, and we talk about emotional intelligence. There is nothing more important than those four pillars. They will create a foundational component for your success as a leader. If you've enjoyed this podcast, share it with others. Pass the message on. And more than anything else, go out there and execute these four pillars every single day. I guarantee you, if you just do one of these every single day, you will be a much, much better leader. Hope you've enjoyed your time with us. I've certainly enjoyed my time with you. As we always say, until next time, I'm Dean Chris. You have been listening to Straight Talk on Leadership with Dean Crisp. If you would like to learn more about the four pillars discussed in this week and last week's episodes, please visit our website at www.lhln.org where you can learn where to purchase a copy of Dean's book, The Essential Leadership Lessons from the Thin Blue Line, or consider signing up to take a class or request to host one. Until next time, be sure to put your leadership into action every day.